0: 26 years. We were 12, I think, when we started this church. Say wow. Wow. Say it backwards. All right, just making sure you're ready to go here today. It's good to see you. Kathy and I feel especially privileged to be here, and it's an honor. We want to thank the pastors and elders for inviting us, and this is Pastor Appreciation Month, so I think you ought to give a hand to your pastors here at New Life. There you go. Well, I'd like to give you just a quick update on my family if I can. So I've got a picture of them right there. The gentleman on the left is our son, Andrew. He's 23 years old. He is in seminary, studying to be a pastor. And he actually leads the seminary in tattoos, if you know him. (laughs) Um, The beautiful young lady in the middle is Julianne. She's a nurse. She is Daniel's new bride. They've been married a little over a year. And uh, Julie actually is a psychiatric nurse, which means she fits especially well with our family. (laughs) That's our son Daniel in the middle. Daniel is about to turn 25. Daniel is also in seminary. He's also studying to be a pastor and a church planter. Uh, The beautiful lady there is Kathy, who's also right down here. We just celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary, and um, we were 12, I think, when we got married. So. And then the, the, the tall fellow, he's really not that tall, it's just we're all short, is Luke. Luke is 21. He's in graduate school now uh, studying Christian counseling. So we appreciate your prayers for our family, and I know many of you do, and we want to thank you for that also want to show you another slide, and I want you to write down this website if you would, GraceCityVegas.com, GraceCityVegas.com. Uh, seven months from now, Kathy and I and Daniel and Julianne and Andrew are moving to Las Vegas, Nevada. God has called us to plant a new church, and uh, Las Vegas is known as what city? Sin City. So we uh, are looking to call our church Grace City Church. When we see God uh, where sin abounds, we would like to see grace abounds. Uh, Las Vegas is a very under-evangelized place. Uh, It's also, as you know, a very sinful place. And the part of Las Vegas, there are some good churches in Las Vegas, especially in the suburbs, but the neighborhood God has put on our hearts is uh, just a few blocks from the Strip. Our neighborhood has 30,000 people, 37 casinos, five strip clubs, three Mormon houses of worship, three New Age houses of worship, and one evangelical Bible teaching church for 30,000 people. Compare that to Gehanna, which has almost 20 Bible teaching churches um, for 30,000 people. We appreciate your prayers. Out of uh, our thirty thousand people, one are percent evangel- are evangelized. Would call themselves evangelical Protestants. Would say that they believe the Bible is the Word of God. Jesus is the Son of God, and they've experienced uh, salvation through the gospel. That's one out of a hundred. Also, in our neighborhood is the University of Nevada at Las Vegas, which has two thousand residential students and a total of twenty-nine thousand people. Come to campus for school every day. So we appreciate you praying for us. We're gathering a team of uh, radical, mission minded young adults to go with us. We have over 20 now as part of our team, and we'll all be moving the end of May and starting a church in Las Vegas. So please pray for us. Um, I was asked to speak today as part of your series on prayer on the subject of warfare prayer. Now, I want to tell you why, uh, if you would have asked me this for a certain period of time in my life, I would have been reluctant to talk about it, and I want to tell you why. About 20 years ago, I was, uh, had done some study on this and felt like it's something we needed to talk about as a church, and I woke up on a Tuesday morning in incredible pain. Went to the doctor, and he examined everything he could examine about me, head to toe, top to bottom, everything he could test, and then he looked at me, and he did this. It's not good when your doctor does that, you know? Well, I said, what? What? What is it? And he said, well, you're you've got 22 boils. Now, if you don't know what a boil is, picture an infected hair on steroids. It's a about the size of a dime, a swollen uh, sore on your body. And he said, look, the, the reality is, if these boils aren't gone soon, I'm going to have to take a razor blade and lance each one of them. He said, now, what's amazing to me is I've never read in my medical studies of anybody getting this many boils this quickly overnight. He said, he, doctor's a Christian, he said, what are you preaching on Sunday? I said, well, I'm going to do a series on uh, spiritual warfare, angels, demons, and Satan. He said, bingo. I said, what am I to do? He said, I'm going to give you some cream that will ease the pain. But if these boils aren't gone when you come back on Friday, I'm going to have to lance them. I suggest you get your wife to get on the phone and get a hold of some people in your church that know how to get a hold of God. Well, I went back on Friday, and again he examined me, and again he shook his head like this, and and but this time he smiled. He said, I can't believe it. He said, they are all completely gone. He said, nobody gets 22 boils this quickly, and nobody gets rid of 22 boils this quickly. He said, this was a physical thing, but it had a spiritual background. Well, Today I've been asked to talk to you about the subject of warfare prayer. I would like you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Take the study guide out of your notes if you would. While you're turning there, I want to introduce my sister and my brother-in-law who are advertising Grace City Church today, and they've got their t-shirts on. So Carol and Don, would you stand up? There you go. And they want you to know that you too can get a t-shirt like that if you give a generous donation to Grace City Church online. (laughs) Also, I've got a whole group of my family uh, from up north and some from down south here, and uh, welcome to all of you as well. Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, we have the clearest description of spiritual warfare given in the Bible. And in this passage, Paul takes what he's been talking about in the book of Ephesians and opens it up. And uh, today we're going to look at this passage through the lens of prayer. I want to remind you, as the army of God, we are to fight from our knees. Dick Eastman says, prayer is not so much another weapon on our list of weaponry as it is the actual battle. Uh, A Puritan writer says, as the spirit of prayer goes up, Satan's kingdom goes down. the first thing I want you to see out of this passage is that we need to pray with our eyes wide open. Pray with your eyes wide open. A lot of you have been fasting and praying this week. Some of you have been praying about some things and you're not seeing anything happen. I want to encourage you to start praying with your eyes wide open. In this passage in verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. The devil is a fallen angel. He was the highest ranking angel who fell from heaven and led a rebellion because he wanted to put himself in God's place. The Bible is full. If you believe the Bible, you will believe in angels and demons because the Bible is full of discussions about literal angels, literal demons, over 300 times in the Scriptures. Well, this fallen angel, demon, led a revolt against God, and he's saying you need to have your eyes open and be awake to his schemes. Then he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And he's talking about a ranking of uh, demonic soldiers. And then in verse 18, he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful, having your eyes open to this end. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, your adversary, the devil walks around seeking whom he may devour. Satan declared war on God, but he's got a big problem. You can't beat God. God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent. God is almighty, and God is eternal. Satan has no chance of defeating God. It would be like you picking a fight with Superman. What's he going to do? The only way to get at Superman is to get at, well, you got to have kryptonite, but Satan doesn't have any kryptonite. So he goes after Lois Lane. The only way to get at God is to go after that which God loves, and that's people. You see, God only has one weakness in spiritual battle, and that is God loves people more than anything else. So Satan has chosen his tactic to attack people, and what he does is try to keep people from coming to God. So every lost person, every baby born on this planet has an enemy assigned to them to keep them from coming to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But after you come to Christ, the battle doesn't end. The battle just begins at a certain level because then Satan amplifies his efforts in order to keep us from bringing other people to Jesus Christ. We are in a spiritual battle. Turn to the person next to you and say, we're in a war. C.S. Lewis said, there's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. John MacArthur writes, the faithful Christian life is a battle. It is warfare on a grand scale. John Eldridge says, three eternal truths. Things are not what they seem. The world is at war and each of us has a crucial role to play. He says, the story of your life is a long, the story of a long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows what you could be, and he fears it. He says, let me tell you something, you don't escape spiritual warfare simply because you choose not to believe it exists or because you refuse to fight it. He continues, he says, to live in in ignorance of spiritual warfare is the most naive and dangerous thing a person can do. It's like skipping through the worst part of town late at night waving your wallet above your head. He says it's like walking into an Al-Qaeda camp wearing I love the United States t-shirt. He said it's like swimming in a great, with great white sharks dressed as a wounded sea lion and being smeared with blood. You want to pray more effectively, pray with your eyes open that there's a whole nother dimension going on a spiritual war going on. Uh, Satan, yes, he was defeated when Jesus uh, died on the cross and defeated death, Hebrews chapter 2. He was disarmed in a sense when Jesus rose from the dead, Colossians chapter 2. But you've got to understand that even though Jesus crushed the head of Satan when he rose from the dead, you can cut the head off a, a rattlesnake and it can still bite you with poison and kill you up to an hour later. You can cut the head off an anaconda, and it can still writhe and, and cause uh, wreak havoc up to an hour later. Uh, we're living in the, the, the last hour, possibly, of the history of planet Earth as we know it. Satan is desperate in this last hour, and I want you to know that the great serpent, that dragon, Satan, still bites. Let me show you some of the ways he still bites, and I, they just come from his name. His name Satan means adversary or opposer. So what does he do? He brings opposition into your life. He brings opposition into your life. What I mean by that is this. Anytime somebody takes steps towards God, expect opposition. Anytime you step up for God, expect opposition. Anytime you step out for God, expect opposition. He's an opposer. He wants to keep you from getting closer to God. He wants to keep you from being on track with God. He's an adversary. He's an opposer. He opposes God by bringing opposition into your life. He, according to Job, he has the ability in, to bring about physical, natural, and to affect people to bring opposition into our lives. Second, he's an accuser. He brings accusation into your life. He's the devil. Every time you say that word, you are, in essence, saying the word accuser. That's what it means in the Greek, slanderer, diabolos, the accuser. Now, he accuses at several levels. To accuse is, is to denounce, to say bad things about. For example, how many of you have ever had this thought go through your head, God is not good? Am I the only one? How about God is not real? Or God does not love you? or God doesn't care about your situation, or God is not able. Where do those thoughts come from? Why would you come up with that thought? The enemy is accusing God to you. Not only that, he accuses you to other people. Uh, when I was here as, the, as a pastor, on Monday nights, we used to call people uh, who, who were new or who had been absent for a while, and um one Monday night, I called a lady I hadn't seen in a while, and I said, hey, I haven't seen you in several weeks, and we miss you. And she said, no, you don't. I said, yeah, we do. She said, no, you don't. She said, I'm never coming back to your church. I said, okay. Um, why? She said, well, I know you don't like me. I said, how do you know? She said, the last few times I was there, you didn't talk to me in the lobby. And then she said, the last time you were, I was there, the whole time you were speaking, you stared at me the entire time. And I could read from your eyes that you hate me and don't want me to ever come back. I said, whoa. I said, you need to know that not once in my life have I ever thought that I didn't like you. If I didn't want you to be a part of our church, I wouldn't have called you tonight, and in fact... Kathy asked me who I was calling, and I said that I was calling you, and we had a discussion of how much we like you and how proud we are of you for raising your daughter as a single mom. I said, where do you think those accusations came from? She said, the devil? I said, bingo. He accuses you to other people. So if you've had a, you pray with your eyes wide open, realizing that if somebody's taking a step for God, they will get opposition, so pray against that opposition. Uh, You're going to get hit with accusations, so pray against those accusations. If you've had an interesting situation with somebody and they walk away, realize the enemy's going to be saying bad things about you to them, so pray against that. And not only that, he says bad things about them to you. Uh, Kathy and I moved into uh, a house on Brookhill Brook Hill Avenue, just down the road here, that had a garage. And uh, we hadn't been there very long, and um, we had a discussion. How many of you are married? You know what I'm talking about when I say we had a discussion? We had intense fellowship. Is that, is that a better way to put it? We had a fight, all right? Well, we did what people do when they have a fight. She went in the kitchen and banging around on pots and pans, and I go in the garage, and I'm banging around. I don't know what I'm banging, but I'm banging around. And the whole time I'm out there, I'm getting flooded with these negative thoughts about Kathy, about her motives. Why, she doesn't love you? I'm Bad wife. Why, Why she never loved you, really? Oh, what a bad wife. Why, why she wishes she never married you, and I bang, bad wife. Why, she wishes... You guys were divorced. No. Why, why, she would be happy if you were dead. I'm thinking, what a bad wife. These thoughts are just going through my head, and then the door opens. Kathy, Kathy's standing there with a tear on her cheek, and she said, honey, I love you. I'm like, you do? She said, yes. I said, you don't hate me? No. You don't, you don't want me dead? No. I just want you to pick up your socks. (laughs) Where did all those negative thoughts come from? The accuser. Uh, The worst is he accuses you to yourself. Most Christians live about 5% of what they could be in God, I think, because part of it has to do with we live under accusation. Don't you know that Romans 8 says that there is no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus? You see, there's two types of people. There are those who are not in Christ Jesus and those who are in Christ Jesus. When you get saved, God places you into Christ Jesus. You get baptized into the body of Christ. You get placed into Christ. The word baptized means to immerse or submerge or place into. Right now, just so you understand what I'm talking about, I'm going to baptize my keys into my pocket. Now, my keys are in my pocket. Where I go, my keys go. I go over here, my keys go over here. I go over here, my keys are over here. Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead and is in heaven. So in Christ, and there's no more condemnation. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. I am in him. I have the righteousness of Jesus applied to my account. I don't have to be condemned. So when the enemy says to me, Dave, you're a loser, Dave, you're sinful, Dave, you're weak, Dave, you're rotten, I can say, yeah, that's all true apart from Jesus Christ. But in Christ, I'm a saint. In Christ, I've been made righteous. In Christ, I got the the power of God and the life of God inside of me. I don't have to listen to accusation. A third way Satan Bites us through temptation. He loves to bite us through temptation. I thought uh, when when I got close to God, temptation would go away. (laughs) That's funny, isn't it? Sometimes the closer you get to God, the greater the temptation you experience. Why? Because the enemy doesn't want you to go in that direction. Expect it. Pray against it. Pray with your eyes wide open. Number four, uh, Satan is also called um, the deceiver. And he uses deception. He's called the father of lies. And really, his whole game is lying, telling us half-truths, not giving us the whole story, lying to us. If I could take your thoughts from the last week and print every one of them out and take a highlighter and highlight your thoughts that are not true that you're thinking about life, God, other people, yourself, I could, I could discern where you experience spiritual bondage. Jesus said you'll know or experience the truth, and the truth will set you free. You've got to pray against the lies of the enemy. You've got to pray that God's truth is what runs through your mind, that God's truth is what runs through their mind, other people that you're praying for. And uh, the fifth way that he works is destruction. He's the destroyer. He's Apollyon, the destroyer. He's called in Revelation. And he wants to destroy your relationship with God, your relationship with your mate, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your family, your relationship with your church. He wants to destroy your ministry. He's a destroyer. And the the ways that he tries to destroy, one of his, his basic ones is simply distraction. I have a friend that says Satan is a master of the weapons of mass distraction. Um, you know how it works in the micro level. You sit down to pray and all of a sudden 87 things run through your mind. You come to church and you become fascinated with that guy's hair in front of you, whether it's a hairpiece or not. <laughs> Some people, you come, you get easily distracted. You sit, you sit down to read your Bible and the phone rings. You start sharing Christ with somebody and... Somebody comes up and distracts you. Micro distraction. He also uses macro distraction. And what I mean by that is to get your whole life off course. And his goal is not so much to get you going exactly opposite from God. He wants to get you a little bit off track to where instead of living a God-centered life, you're living just a little bit less than a God-centered life. And if you, you live that type of life long enough, you wake up and you're way off course. He's a distractor. He's a divider. Like I said, he wants to destroy and divide all of your key relationships. He's a distressor and a discourager. Um, I have trained missionaries and pastors and church planters all over the country and in different places around the world. I found that if I ask this question, I always am, am interested in the response. I will say, how many of you have had a moment in your life when you woke up in the middle of the night, possibly because of a distressing dream, and all of a sudden your mind was filled with a a barrage of bizarrely negative thoughts, hopeless thoughts, helpless thoughts, distressing thoughts, suicidal thoughts. I'm talking to some of the, the finest Christians. Hands will go up all over the place. I'll have them line up and tell me afterwards, often with tears in their eyes, that when they went to the mission field or when they committed to become a missionary or when they accepted God's call to accept a ministry, how that these things have started happening and they keep coming. He's a distresser. You know it's not true. You know it's not hopeless, but the thoughts just keep coming and coming. Let me ask you a question. This is a fine church, and you're a fine group of people. I wonder, is there anybody in this room that would say that, like me, you've had that happen to you, when you woke up in the middle of the night with deep, dark, negative, distressing thoughts that just won't clip? Anybody like that? Look around. You're not alone. That's the enemy. He wants to destroy you. Well, uh, so number one, pray with your eyes wide open. Understand, you're in a war, and this is the way it works. Tell the person next to you, we are in a war. Number two, I want to encourage you to pray with supernatural power. Pray with supernatural power. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Circle the word strong and circle the word might. The word strong is actually the word dunomai, which we get our word dynamite. What's he saying? He's saying, in Christ, you got the power. In Christ, you got the power. Tell the person next to you, in Christ, you got the power. You got the power. You see, Satan tells you you're helpless and hopeless and can't. I want you to understand, in Christ, you can. You got his might. His. It's not your power. It's his power, and he's omnipotent, almighty. He's the great, powerful, almighty creator God. In him, you got the power. You got the might. The word might there describes this resident power waiting to be used. God comes into your life when you get saved. He invades it through the Holy Spirit. God is in you. So as God is in you, you got the power of God in you. You got the power to not give in to temptation. Do you hear me? You got the power to not give in to temptation. You got the power to not listen to accusation. You have the power to not be discouraged, to not be defeated, to not be distressed, to not be depressed. You got the power in Christ. Uh, anybody remember the movie Aladdin. Anybody? Little Disney movie? I love Robin Williams in that, that movie, and um, I love the scene where he's explaining to Aladdin all the benefits of having a genie. He's doing all these things of what a genie could do, and then he sums it up by saying, What you got is awesome power! Itty bitty living space. Hey, I'm five foot six, I weigh more than I used to. I'm itty-bitty living space, but you better watch out, friend, because I got awesome power, and so do you in Christ. Tell the person next to you, watch out. In Christ, you got the power. Now, this is, notice he says, be strong in the Lord. You say, how do I do that? This is a passive present tense. It means continually get your strength from God. Continually allow God to be your strength. Continually draw your strength from God. Now, this other word, the word, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, that word power, uh, where it's used there, means it's only power when it's used. It's only power in operation. It's kind of like electricity. I don't, I'm not a scientist, so forgive my bumbling and explaining it, but You got all this power running through a, a, we call those things, wire through the wall. You got great power running uh, through a wire through the wall, but that power does you absolutely no good until you plug into it. As long as you're plugged in, you got the power. Get unplugged, you got no power. It's all there, it's all resident, it's all available, but only if you're plugged in. What he's saying is, be strong in the Lord, be continually plugged into God and his power. Hey, you can pray, you can win in spiritual uh, battle, but it's all about you plugging into the power God's already given you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power you have in your life. Tell the person next to you, don't forget you got the power. One reason we read our Bibles every day and pray is so we stay plugged into the power. Our church planning team prays three times a day. When I say that, I don't mean thanks for breakfast, thanks for lunch, and thanks for dinner. Three significant prayer times each day, we keep them praying. We keep praying so that we can stay plugged into the power. Number two, number three, number 57, pray from the place of authority in your life. Pray with your eyes wide open. Pray with power, God's supernatural power. Pray from the place of authority. He says, be strong in the Lord. Interesting. We would all agree. Jesus uh, defeated and destroyed death and defeated Satan through his death and resurrection. Jesus destroyed Satan in his death. He crushed his head. We would all agree that Jesus now sits in a place of authority in heaven. Jesus sits in a place of authority where he has a name above every name in heaven. Notice what Ephesians chapter 1 says. Paul says, I pray for you that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe that power that is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. That's every satanic thing you can imagine. And every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but in the age to come, God's placed all things under his feet and appointed him the head, the authority over everything for his church Jesus sits in a place of victory. And what I showed you earlier is we've been baptized into Christ. So where Jesus is positionally, we are. So if Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, we are there in a place of authority in Christ. Ephesians 1 rolls into Ephesians 2. He says, but God who loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places. And he says, in Christ Jesus. Hey, I can pray with greater authority than I can imagine. I can pray with the same authority as Jesus because I have the same position as Jesus. I've been seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I can pray with a place of authority and victory. Neil Anderson says, Nothing is more foundational to your freedom from Satan's bondage than understanding what God has done for you in Christ and who you are as a result. So now that I am in Christ, I can pray with great authority. When I'm hit with accusation, I can say no I go away, don't believe it, don't accept it, Jesus is Lord of me, and the enemy's got to flee. Now, because I am in Christ, I can pray for people and I can say, enemy, I shut your mouth in the name of Jesus. You can't speak to this person any longer about these things. You, lies are ceased. God, speak the truth. And I can pray with authority in their behalf. But let me tie this into number four and that is got to pray with submission. Submission. It's not me telling God what to do. This is me submitting to what God wants to do. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Now, this is odd if you're a student of the Scripture because uh, you would expect Paul to say, be strong in Christ because he uses that phrase 165 times to describe the position of a Christian. But he says, be strong in the Lord. And I think the reason for that is this. The strength we have only comes from our union with God. In other words, let me say it this way. You got the power, but you can only apply the power to the extent that you live under his authority as Lord of your life. You got the power, but you can only apply the power to the extent that you live under his authority, him being the Lord of your life. Every area of my life where I am not experiencing victory is an indication that I need to apply the lordship of Jesus to my life. James writes, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He says, therefore, submit to God. Then you can resist the devil, and then he will flee from you. You say, Dave, I keep getting hit with these anxious thoughts. I... I, I asked God to take them away. Why is it not happening? Have you, if you're anxious about your finances, you've not brought it under, and you've not brought it under the authority of God. You're not under His protection, so the enemy's got a free range to shoot at you. But if I submit my financial life to God, then I've got a position where I submitted to God, and then the enemy's got to flee from me because I've surrendered it to God. If if I'm worried about my children, it could be because I haven't submitted my children and given them completely to God. If I'm struggling with gluttony, it could be because I haven't submitted my appetites to God. If I'm struggling with lust, it could be that I haven't submitted my mind and my relationships to God. Any area of my life where I'm not experiencing the powerful victory of God is a great indication that it's a part of my life that hasn't been surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. When I submit to God, then I have the power to resist the devil and he must flee from me. God brings protection and power when we come under his authority. If I'm living any part of my life that's not submitted to God, those are areas of my life where the enemy has room to work. In the same way, more specifically, my prayers will have more power, but only as they are in submission to the will of God. Listen to what John chapter 5 says. He says, but this is the confidence that we have in Him. If we ask anything according to His will, according to His will, in submission to His will, He hears us, And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we asked of Him. You see, powerful warfare prayer is not me telling God what to do. It's me praying and submitting and surrendering and finding out what God wants to do and then praying, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth in this situation just as it's done in heaven. As a result, I, I spent a lot of time praying about what to pray about. Because when I, I can ask all day for things, and if it's not what God wants to do, the answer is no. But if it is what God wants to do, then God promises again and again and again to send the answer. So if you're not praying and seeing answers to your prayer, it could be because your eyes aren't wide open to see how the enemy's working. It could be because you're not praying out of the power that's resident right there. You're not plugged in. It could be because you're not praying from your position of authority. And it could be because you're not praying out of a heart of submission to God and His will in this situation. Well, the last thing I want to give you when it comes to praying with power, praying in victory, praying spiritual warfare prayers, is learning to pray with stubborn resiliency. Notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Do you get the idea that Paul wanted them to stand? Four times he uses that phrase. Now, the word stand is a military term, especially when it's used with this preposition and what it means to stand in a warfare in battle array against an enemy. We get a picture of this in... um, Second Samuel 23, where it talks about David's mighty men, and it names the big three, and it tells how each of them took his stand in a field against the enemy. When everybody else is retreating, he was standing, and because he stood resilient in opposition to the enemy, he brought a great victory, not only for himself, but also for the whole army. Look, too often we start praying, and we believe God wants to do something, and we quit way too soon. Look, if you understand spiritual warfare, you will understand that once you've discerned what God wants to do, you need to keep on praying resilient until it becomes a reality. In verse 18 of this same section, Ephesians 6, he says, praying at all times with all perseverance. Let me give you an example, Daniel chapter 10. We have the story of Daniel reading and discerning that God's going to do something in the future and he prays and fast for one day for direction and insight and revelation, and nothing happens, so he prays the second day and fast. and the third day and the fourth day with prayer and fasting, and the fifth day and sixth day and seventh day with prayer and fasting, and the eighth day and the ninth day and the tenth day. 21 days he prays and fasts. At the end of 21 days, Gabriel, the angel, shows up listen to what Gabriel says to Daniel in Daniel chapter 10 he says don't be afraid Daniel from the first day that you purpose to understand and humble yourself before your God your prayers were heard and I came because of your prayers God as soon as he prayed a prayer within the will of God with a submissive heart from a place of authority God sent the answer but it took 21 days to get delivered. Verse 13 of Daniel 10, he says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. He's not talking about a physical human prince. He's talking about a demon principality assigned to Persia where Daniel was living and he was blocking Gabriel from getting through with the answer. And we don't know when it says Gabriel, if it's talking about Gabriel and his army, if it's talking about the uh, Prince of Mer- uh, Persia and his army, but we know war was breaking out. Now, I don't know about you. I'm one of those people. I, sometimes I just pray just because it's exciting to think of war breaking out when I pray. Angels and demons are fighting and flying and stuff is happening while I'm praying. But I also, what I get out of this story is the fact that it took, God sent the answer right away. But because there's a war going on, there's an enemy, there's an adversary, there's an opposer, it took 21 days of fasting and praying to get that answer through. George Mueller is probably the greatest man of prayer we have a record of. He has listed in his prayer journal 10,000 answered prayers. He supported 10,000 orphans by prayer and faith alone. Amazing man of prayer. He makes this statement that most of his prayers were answered immediately, but the big ones took much longer the big ones took much more prayer. Often, he would double the amount of times he was praying each day about that particular situation to get as many prayers as he could to get the answer through as quickly as he could. He tells story after story of how by keeping praying, God worked. In fact, he tells about uh, five young men that got saved after 52 years of prayer. One got saved after 18 months, one five years later, one six years later, one at his funeral, and one a week later. Just before this service, Kelly Pryor came up to me and said after 50 years of praying for her father-in-law, he got saved. Look, we got to pray with stubborn resilience. We got to take our standing in Christ and keep standing and keep standing and keep standing and keep standing in prayer until God sends the answer. I was preaching on this subject a few years ago. I gave an invitation to to make a commitment to pray for loved ones until God brings them home. As a result of this invitation, there were many people praying. There was one couple off to my left who were just sobbing and weeping and broken. They came up to me afterwards and said, Dave, our daughter Ashley ran away from home six weeks ago. She's 19 years old. We have no idea where she is. We've been praying, and we've often fasted during these six weeks, and we prayed every day. And tonight, as we prayed down here at this altar, we sense God wants to give us a breakthrough. Would you pray with us that God would give us a breakthrough? (laughs) And as I prayed, I sensed very clearly God was up to something. Right then, that moment in that girl's life. I remember looking at my watch and saying, God, it's 8.30 tonight, and right now in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask you to go where Ashley is, shut the mouth of the enemy, and Holy Spirit, you would speak truth to her and remind her that she is welcome home and with her family and welcome home to you. The next night I got up to speak, finished the sermon, uh, went out in the lobby. A young lady came running up to me. And jumped up and hugged me. And I said, who are you? She said, Ashley. She said, last night, about 8.30, I had an overwhelming sense that I could come home to God and I could come home to my family. I loaded up my car and I drove home to mom and dad and tonight I came home to Jesus. Look. It's a war. Expect it to be a war. Expect it to be a fight. Expect opposition. But you got the power. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. You got the authority. If you're in submission to God and you're praying according to his will, he promises to answer. Matthew says, keep on asking and it shall be given unto you. Keep on seeking and you shall find. Keep on knocking and the door shall be open." You just got to keep on praying until God sends the answer. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now, would you? And I'm going to give an invitation. It's for two types of folks. One, there's an area of your life where you are not experiencing victory. It just is continual defeat. Maybe it's it's suicidal thoughts. Maybe it's, it's anxiety. Maybe it's gluttony. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's your financial life. Maybe it's a situation uh, where you just can't experience victory in this part of your life and it's because you haven't really submitted it fully to God. And God's speaking to you about that. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat, come down here, and as you do, kneel and say, God, I humble myself, I need your grace, I submit to God, I resist the devil. The second group of people that are going to respond to this invitation are people that are saying, you know what, I believe God wants to do something in the life of one of my loved ones. I believe God wants to work. I'm coming to say, I'm going to keep praying till they come home, till God's will is accomplished in their life. And you're going to get out of your seat and come. Maybe it's going to be you and your your mate or you and your family, but you're going to come and you're going to kneel and you're going to cry out to God to do today to speak to that person and draw them to himself. So right now, if that's you, you need to come and submit a part of your life to God or you need to come and pray for a loved one. Get out of your seat right now, start walking, come down, kneel down, and you do business with God. This time is not about anybody else, it's about you and God and what God's been saying to you the last 40 minutes. What God's doing in your life, what God's wanting to do, what God's wanting to see, God's will being accomplished on this earth.